The 10th Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to the10thcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. Speaking of jobs, Revision Path's job board is now part of the 10th Collective. You can go there to browse job listings, post your own job listings, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Old Dominion University is looking for the following positions in Norfolk, Virginia. A lecturer in game development and game programming, and an assistant professor of photography tenure track. For more information on these listings, including DEI statements, qualifications, salary, and more, visit revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. We're helping raise money for Selma Tornado Relief with the United Way of Central Alabama. Last month, a tornado ripped through my hometown of Selma, Alabama, and it's going to take a real community effort to get things back to normal. So if you're in a position to help, then text the word SELMA, S-E-L-M-A, to 62644 and donate any amount that you can. Also, if you send me proof of your donation, I will match it 100% up to the first $1,000 donated. Again, text SELMA to 62644. I'll also put this information in the show notes. Big thanks to those of you who have already donated. Really means a lot. Revision Path is sponsored by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, Check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is also sponsored by Hover. Do you have something new that you want to launch this year, like an art project or a podcast or your own website? Whatever it is that you're passionate about and you want to build online, Hover has got your back. Everything online begins with a domain name, and Hover makes the process of choosing and using your domain name a piece of cake. If you get stuck, they have a best-in-class customer support team that can help you out every step of the way. And there's free Who Is privacy, meaning you can keep your identity safe from hackers or anyone else that's trying to find out that information. Get started today with Hover by going to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Speaking of 10, for 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, including 28 Days of the Web, which we just kicked off earlier this month, we need your support now more than ever. So if you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. 
visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Also, we have a new hotline. I've mentioned this in a couple of uh, episodes already, but uh, if there's something from a particular episode that really stuck with you, or if there's an interview with a guest that you really like, we want to hear about it. So you can now leave us a voicemail message. The number for that is 626-603-0310. You might just hear your message on a future episode. Again, that number is 626-603-0310. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Kendall Burton. Kendall is an art director located in New York City, and he's the co-host of the podcast Terror Nova. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Kendall Burton. I am a senior art director at 21 Grams currently, and I've been there now for a uh, year. Yep, coming up on a year. Yeah, just past a year. Nice. How's the year been going so far for you? Uh, 2023 has been nice so far. I can't complain. I'm always excited for what comes each year. I try to, you know, try to mix things up a little bit. Is there anything that you want to like accomplish this year that you didn't accomplish last year? Like any New Year's resolutions or stuff like that? I don't really do resolutions that much, but I guess if I had to say the closest thing to it is this year, I want to travel a little bit more. I haven't traveled as much as I would like in a lot of ways these past few years, you know, of course, due to the pandemic and stuff like that. So I want to get back to doing that a little bit more. Yeah, I hear you there. I, I took my first plane trip since the pandemic back in October. I went to Toronto and spoke mm-hmm. at a conference. I was tripping leading up to the trip. I was like, because, you know, you see on the news, folks be fighting in the airports and shit. And I'm like, yep. I don't want to go. And it's it's like some some hassle. Like, I just want to go, go to the airport, get on the plane, get where I got to go. You know what I'm saying? And it was fine. Like, I, I once I got back into that rhythm, I was like, OK, this is good. I can do this. <laughs> That's cool. You went to Toronto. I love Toronto. It's one of my favorite places to visit. That was my first time visiting, and I didn't get to see a whole lot of the city because, like, they had us right by the uh, the convention venue where we spoke at. It was, I tell people that Toronto kind of feels like if Hollywood made a big city to shoot movies in, it would be Toronto. Like, it feels like New York, but less, like, gritty and grimy in a yeah. way. That's a perfect description, actually. Yep. <laughs> Someone who goes there every year. That's a perfect description. And interestingly enough, like I've gotten the airport, I um, that that you know, got to the airport, took my cab to the hotel, got to the hotel. As soon as I walk in the hotel, they're playing Drake. I'm like, really, really? Oh, they love Drake. They love Drake. I mean, cab drivers have asked me and my lady about that last time I went. I went in the summertime last year. And the guy was like, you you, uh, you heard of Drake? And I'm like, I know he'd be a smart. Who didn't hear of Drake? <laughs> Who hasn't heard of Drake? Right. <laughs> heard of him. I'm like, I don't listen to his music like that. But of course, I've heard of the man. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, is it popular in America? It's a very, very popular. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, 21 Grams. Let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing there. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I guess I can tell you a bit. The, uh, the agency not been there, like I said, for a year. The work is pharma-based, which is really interesting because it's my first step ever into pharma. I've like never done anything pharma before this. So it's been really interesting. 21 Grams, a pharma agency. So they, they work with, it sometimes comes down to like figuring out the best way to market a drug, 
very similar to some very similar to a traditional agency, right? Like in the consumer space, or maybe like Mars or M and M's when it comes to agency, say, "Hey, we want to do a campaign. What should we do? Like, what is the thinking? What is the concept? What does the campaign look like?" That's for you. Once the twenty one grams does with pharmaceuticals, so it could be a general campaign that's about like bringing awareness around a particular disease or particular condition that people suffer from, or it could be a campaign that's about a very specific drug that is meant to help and treat a very specific condition. So uh, the campaigns kind of range, but the thinking and all of that stuff, you know, strategically, conceptually, design-wise, all that stuff still applies. What is a typical day like for you? Oh, man, uh, it's it's exciting for me because <laughs> I'm still learning so, many, so much new stuff every day. So some things are the norm, you know, just hopping on teams or hopping in chats and talking to my teammates about what's happening on the project. Some days can be very heavily design focused where I'm like, well, they, I'm in InDesign or Photoshop or XD or any of the millions of programs in the Adobe suite. It could be one day of me making, maybe working on a, a brochure or a, a leave behind or working on a direct mail alert, or it could be working on a page for a website, or I could be working on print ads. Like I said, it's a variety. And some days, literally, honestly, some days can just be very heavily meeting focused. Where I may be, you know, having conversations with my internal team about the upcoming project, uh, relaying questions to them about what I need to do, what I can do, and find. Uh, sometimes, there's this interesting thing about working in pharma. You kind of have to learn about the drugs or the disease states you're trying to fix. <laughs> so <laughs> that's another meeting where it's like they call it Med One Hundred One. I may be sitting in a meeting for like an hour where I'm just learning about the condition that people suffer from, and like this is why this particular medication was created to treat this. So it's it's really interesting. My day can jump around. It can be very, very different from day to day. Mm. What attracted you to work for them? I wanted to try something new, to be honest with you. And I wanted to try something new. And I remember telling them that during the interview process as well. I wanted to try something different. Uh, throughout a good portion of my career, I have to work consumer side, which, you know, it's things like Nike, Adidas, My Little Pony, Hasbro, all of this variety of brands I've gotten been fortunate to touch. And people have always told me, like with pharma, I remember one of my professors always said with pharma, he was like, hey, some people get stuck in it and some people don't like being stuck. So if you could try consumer for a little while and then go into pharma, so at least if you don't enjoy pharma, you can go back. But uh, you might find yourself, find that you like it. So it's kind of like up to you. And I'm the type of person that likes to try new things. So I was like, great. I've done all these years of consumer. The opportunity for pharma came up to me and I was like, yeah, I want to try that. Like I haven't done that before. I'm sure I'll have to think differently and learn, learn new things. And that's kind of why I got in this field and a part of the reason I got in this field to begin with. So I was like, time to learn some new stuff. Overall, like as an art director, what would you say is the best thing about the work that you do? Oh, it's a lot of things. Of course, I'm a fan of the end result when the project is done. <laughs> that's always a good one where everyone's just like, wow, like this really came out like better than we expected. It's always great to hear that. I honestly love for the people that design requires more work than people think. So I think oftentimes people would just like to just kind of go, well, you know, the brand colors, you know, what photo photography to use, like art direct that. And I think sometimes a part of a big part of art direction, which is different from design, they are not a hundred percent the same. A big part of art direction is trying to direct people like, Hey, we can do it like this. We can do it like this. Like, I know you, you may be selling this particular thing, but we could style this in the style of like, I don't know, a Cinderella book or something, or like some type of fairy tale story. Like you can, you can do, you could just remix things in ways that people don't expect. And that's a part of the experience. So it's not just laying out the content, but it's like the way in which you lay out the content 
that makes things really interesting. Like that's a part of the art direction. What type of typography do we use? What type of photography do we use? Like that's a part of art direction that's slightly separate from design, but is of course connected. So that's like one of my favorite aspects of it. Just kind of showing non-designers that <laughs> and showing like quote unquote non-creatives that aspect of the of what we do. Mm. Now I hear people kind of use art director and creative director like somewhat interchangeably. What would you say are like the difference between those two, like from your perspective? I've heard it a few different ways. I would say, I guess, in my experience, the way the industry has been lately with the time I've been in it, it seems like they've people trying to kind of merge the two. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding, how things kind of used to be, there was never really emergence of the two because thinking and doing are two very different tasks. There are people who are really good designers, like fantastic designers, but they may not be the best in terms of like figuring out the best direction for something to look visually. But they may be the best to put it together. They just may not be the best to come up with the idea. Mm-hmm. So generating ideas is important, you know, kind of similarly to how people think of Apple when they're just like, Steve Jobs didn't design anything. You're like, you're probably right. But like having the vision and coming up with the idea is a big part of the process too. So you can't separate the vision from like the actual technicality, technical part they're doing. I've always viewed like creative director and art director as like, they're different. So in my opinion, the creative director is more of the manager. The creative director is the manager of the entire project. So not just necessarily the art aspect of it, but understanding like, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we doing on brief? What is the brief? What is the brief action? Do we have enough information in the brief? All of those things, I feel like the creative director is a part of like kind of guardrailing to make sure that the art director and the designers can succeed. The art director, I've always viewed it as art director is generally in charge of what is the like ownable creative POV in which we can tell this story. Are we telling the story in the way of like a video game? We know some type of video game narrative that uses maybe like a UI video game like experience. Like what are we trying to say? And here's the best way to say it. And the creative director is just, I would say, there to make sure that you have all the things in place so that you can actually get to doing the doing part. <laughs> That's just how I viewed it. I'm sorry if that sounds a little complex, but that's just kind of how I thought it. Our director is the creative vision. Creative director is making sure that our director has everything they do and need and being the guardrail and the pressure cooker to make sure that things that are going out make sense. Like they're, they're kind of like the, I would say the artistic version of the client. That's how I've always thought of it. So when I work on a project, after we get the design, even though I'm a designer as well, oftentimes I'm going to the creative director far before I'm going to anyone else to go, Hey, Here's what the brief said. Here's what the, what the POV is. Here's what the goal is. Here's how I think we should do that. We should tell that story. We should solve this problem. What do you think? And I feel like if the creative director is supposed to put their client hat on in some ways to go, okay, the client may or may not like certain aspects of this and we're kind of pushing a bar, but that's cool. Let's push the bar. Let's do this. Like, that's kind of how Void viewed it. Okay, I got you. No, I, I like that distinction and that comparison. I've just... I don't know when I've had folks on the show or even when I've just talked to other creatives, like I just, I keep hearing them used interchangeably. I'm like, I know they're different, but like, I don't know if they know that it's different. <laughs> if they're saying one thing and it should be something else. Yeah. That's the part where I'm like, that's why I say like what it is now, because from my understanding, for people I've spoken to who are like, we've been in this field far longer than I have. Mm-hmm. Even before I knew this field was an option in life, like people who've been in this field maybe 20, 30 years, maybe even longer. They're like, hey, these jobs used to be treated entirely separately. Even the designer and art director were treated entirely separately. You weren't just like promoted from designer to then your next level was art direction. Mm -hmm. Because some 
can't make that jump. And I was like, that makes sense. But now it seems like it's been smushed together in a lot of ways. I'm sure it has to do with money. People like it's easy to pay one person versus two. I'm yeah, sure that's why that decision was made. But everyone who's an art director is not meant to be a creative director and vice versa. Gotcha. Gotcha. I kind of want to switch gears here a little bit because you you sort of alluded to earlier about like not even knowing this was a profession. So I kind of want to know about your origin story, how you sort of first got into design and art direction and everything. You were born and raised in Brooklyn, right? Yes. Tell me what it was like growing up there. Oh, I loved it. Uh, I still live in New York. I'm not in Brooklyn anymore. Now I live in Manhattan. But I've, I've always loved Brooklyn. It's always had like a a good community, in my opinion, especially like being a kid. I was born in 89, uh, which isn't that long ago, but it can feel like it. It's an on-site. It always had a really great community. That's like I was a co- not like a cool kid, but I mean, like I had a good time as a kid growing up in Brooklyn. Like I was always in parks, like really simple life, like. My family wasn't like, you know, super wealthy or had like money to like really do like vacations in, in crazy places or anything like that. So like it was a lot of like spending time with family, going to block parties when block Brooklyn used to do more of that. When I was a kid, block parties were like a thing, <laughs> like the thing, especially in summertime. It's like the best thing ever. Just like everyone in the neighborhood comes out. Everyone's cooking, giving stuff to kids. Nobody's worried about kids getting kidnapped. Like it was like chill. <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, and I really just loved that as a kid. That's like literally my fondest memory of Brooklyn is just like block parties and like everybody just kind of being out and no one causing problems. Everyone's just like chilling. You can't, hey, you want a hamburger? We're making burgers over here. You want some hot dogs? You want some ribs? Like everyone's making everything. It's a great time. I just, I love it. Yeah. I love that sort of sense of community that comes from like close knit places like that. Like, I mean, I grew up in the, in the deep South, but like that's one of my memories of growing up is like we sort of, were around this tight knit community where if you needed something, you went across the street. And it sounds, I mean, it sounds quaint, like, oh, I'm going to go across the street and borrow a cup of sugar or whatever. But like, you could do that. And like, folks would sit out on their porch and wave to each other and all of that. Doesn't happen now, but back in the day, it definitely was a different, just a different vibe back then. Yeah. And I try to recreate that in my everyday life in some capacity. Yeah. It's a little challenging, but I try to create some small aspects of that going forward. Now, were you like a really creative kid? Did you do a lot of drawing and stuff? I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I, I think I think I was like, I guess, yeah, I would say I was creative. I was like, I was like every other kid watching Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon and things like that and trying to draw the character as best I could. So I didn't have that aspect of it. Drawing never really stuck with me, but like I did do that. I just like enjoyed comedy and like seeing and doing creative things so like whether it was like I, w- I was a really active kid like i was never one of those kids who just kind of like knew what they wanted out of life in terms of like you know some kids are like i know i want to be a doctor i know i want to be this when that mm-hmm. question came to me in elementary school i was like i don't know man like i'm like five like i don't <laughs> <laughs> i know firemen do cool stuff and i know police do their thing and I do people all these other companies and professions do their things but like i don't know like i'm can i just learn life yeah. And that was always how I've been. I would just like learn stuff. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. That's interesting. And I would, that's where like stand up comedy was interesting. Like my father would play that stuff in the house. And that's, I know Richard Pryor and things like that. And I was like, this is funny. And this is like interesting. Yeah. It was like movies and other things. So, you know, I just experimented with everything. I think also, I mean, you said you were born in, in 89, right? Like right around that time of like the late 80s, early 90s, I would say even going into like the mid and late 90s. There was such an explosion of culture that happened, I think particularly here in the U.S., 
because of the advent of technology and personal computers and cable and the internet and all that sort of stuff, that prior to the generation before us, we just got exposed to so much more stuff at a formative age. So it kind of makes sense that like when that question gets asked about like, what do you want to be? It's tough because you have so much choice. Yeah, I think it's good to have choice. I don't I don't think I'm always the person that thinks people need to experience stuff to know what they like. Yeah. So that's just how I kind of view. I think I I guess you can call it my childhood wisdom. Even that was just the way I view things. I was like, I don't know until I tried it. So I would just try stuff. That's why I played like a billion sports. I was also like drawing stuff. I was trying to write poetry. <laughs> I was doing like things. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what I'm good at yet. I know yeah. more. I, I don't. I'm not like. I don't have any self esteem issues or self confidence issues. But like, I need to find explore the world. I just got here. I'm like eight. <laughs> yeah. Now, did your family like support you in this? Like all this sort of exploration of all these different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely did. Like my dad, which I was mainly raised by my dad. Cause my, my mom passed when I was at a young age, so my dad, he didn't even like tell me to do these things. I just was interested in stuff, and I would see stuff that he did, and I was like, "That's kind of cool." Or obviously, whether it was movies we watched, or like TV shows, or bike riding. We did a lot of bike riding when I was a kid. I still try to ride my bike now. It's still a blast. Like seeing things in the world, seeing things in the park, seeing people try stuff maybe at a TV show, and I'm like, "That's interesting. Let me try that." Or uh, it like my parents never like discouraged me from doing anything. And they kind of in some ways opened the world up to me. Like they didn't really like shield me from like things in the world like heavily. They were just kind of like, yeah, some things like this some things like that. So they kind of encouraged me to ask questions and tell them my thoughts if I had any. So I, I just kept going. I just kept doing. It. Now, I read in another interview that you you cut your teeth in tech trying to set up a Zanga blog to meet girls. Is that right? <laughs> yes, that is. <laughs> Talk to me about that. What's what's that about? <laughs> this is my, my origin story. You know, it's funny. I tell this story at job interviews, so I'll tell you exactly how I tell it. <laughs> I, 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 love, I need people to know my personality. Like, you know, I've always felt like if people don't understand like my personality, then like there's no point in me working at places. So I tell them the same story when I go to job interviews. People are like, what got you in the, in the design? And I go, women. And people are like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what, what is, what does that mean? Like, what do you, yeah. wait, wait, you just got an answer you expect, you expect me to sit down and be like, no, I was like drawing such a young age, Picasso. No, it was none of that. It was gross. <laughs> I, I was a teenager. I was 13 years old. I had my first summer job or well, first job period. It was a summer job. I worked at a senior center and a story in Queens. I lived in Queens at the time. I worked at the senior center and Ravenswood in Queens. And this guy, this kid that I worked with who was a little older than me. He was like a graduating senior in high school. I was a, like, I just finished my freshman year. He was always on his website called Zanga. I didn't know what it was. I just saw he was always on it. Like they had a computer. This is before computers were everywhere. Like people had computers, but like not everyone had a computer at home. So like I was one of those people that did not have a computer at home, but I knew how to use computers because schools had computers. And in our office job at the senior center, where we, you know, it, it was an office job. So you, you're sorting paperwork. You may occasionally have to type something. You may occasionally have to send an email. We mostly like hung out with the elderly people that were there because like that was what it was. It was like, you know, maybe bringing lunch to them, stuff like that. And it was just a space where older people could hang out in the summertime and they didn't have to go out and worry about like the heat or anything like that. So it was a really chill place. And my coworker that I worked with, he was just on his website all the time, Zanka. And I always saw he was like on there, whether he was putting music or changing photos. And it was like a really simple like, like blog. I guess this was before people even called them blogs, but it was like a really simple blog. 
and he always had like music playing. He was just like metal and he, he had like cool backgrounds. And I think one day after like a few weeks of getting to know him, I was like, Hey man, what is this website? And he was like, Oh, I use it to um, talk to my friends who were like, who were, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, for people who were shipped out in the military. Mm-hmm. Cause he was in a program called ROTC, I believe was the name of it, which is yeah. kind of like a preparation program for people who are going to go to the military or go to military schools, things like that. So he was like, yeah, I stay in touch with my people, my friends who are like overseas and who are already been deployed. And I just used this to stay in touch with them and talk to other people. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Can I meet girls on here? <laughs> Can I meet girls on here? He was like, well, technically, yeah. And I was like, cool. That's all I need to know. Create a profile for me. And they made your profile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have my own page. I remember my username was like Shadow 1989. I had my own page. And I just started tinkering with it because I saw that he was always tinkering with it. And I was like, well, what can you do? Mm-hmm. And the page gave you like limited HTML, like per um, coding pa- capabilities, honestly. It was like, yeah. you can change the background color. You can put an image in the background. You can position the image in the background. You can change the color of the text. You could change some of the effects over the text. Like maybe you hover over the text and instead of it going purple, maybe like it glitters or something. Like, so it was just these little capabilities that were like really cool. And I, me and my friends were like literally Googling stuff to find out how to change the code on certain things. It just opened a worm, like a can of worms. I was on it all the time, customizing my page all the time, thinking of really interesting themes for my page. Like, oh, I want to do a Final Fantasy theme. So I'd have like, the, I think at the time, Final Fantasy X was a thing. Mm-hmm. So I had a photo of like Titus and Yuno where they like, it's from the game for people who played the game. There's a scene in the game that's really beautiful where they're like in this water and there's like these fireflies around them. I had that in my background. And then like my, my hover over link, the hover state for my links was like this like sparkling glitter that looked like it was from the scene. It was beautiful. I got something to count that. <laughs> so... I didn't know what design was at the time, but I was just like doing that all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're what you're mentioning here is something that's like really important for I think anyone that's looking to learn something new, like use the gateway of something that you enjoy to be that sort of fuel that pushes you into it. Like, do you think you would have gotten into this if you couldn't like meet girls or like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, because you knew that because that was an avenue for you. You're like, okay, I think I want to like learn more about this because you had a sort of a vision of what you wanted to do because of what you were interested in. Yeah, it was, it was a hundred percent that see that that's the funny part. I, I had years of using that software. You were using that website. Me and my friends, I got all my friends hooked on it. We were all like 13 at the time. I think one or two of my friends would be a year older. So we were all hooked on, we all got hooked on Zanger. We we're all using it for the same reasons, pick up girls. But we also all were just like really getting into the design aspect of it, but not knowing that it was like something that people do professionally. The way I found out graphic design was an option was in my junior year of, of high school. Yeah, my junior year of high school, I had a computer class. I transferred schools. I went back to Brooklyn and I had a computer class. I remember with the, with the teacher, Mr. Mastel. That was his name, Mr. Mastel. Mastel. Uh, I remember his name. Really nice guy. I remember seeing him years later and I told him the story. He laughed. And he was like, I forgot all about that. I was like, I know you've had 100 students. <laughs> uh, I, we were, the computer class, we had to build a web page. So, and we had to build a website, but mainly you could just build a web page. He was like, just build a page. And in that class, as we were on computers all day, I was bouncing between building my page and then playing with my Zanga. And, you know, why not? Like, I'm a kid, so this is what I do. And then, like, one, he, the, the teacher was coming over to my desk, 
and I was on Zanga and I saw he got close because remember when you said those big computer monitors, it wasn't like yeah. now <laughs> where you can see somebody walking up to you. It was the big one. So I see him until he, he's like his shadow basically came over the top of my screen. I was like, oh, snap, let me minimize this window. And being an old computer, the window froze and it got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so my Zanga page was just stuck on the page and I'm just sitting there clicking massive, like so hard on the minimize button and it just wouldn't minimize. And he came by. And he was like, "So how's your project going?" And he sees my screen. I'm like, "It's a, it's, it's, it's a going." And he was like, "Hold on, what's that?" I was like, "Uh, I don't know this thing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I was a triple. He was like, "No, that's actually really cool." I remember having like this tornado marquee. It would like typography coming out of it and stuff. He was mm-hmm. like, "That's really cool." Like, wow, that's really cool. Like, how did you even learn how to do that? Like, I didn't teach you guys anything like that. Like, this is cool. He was like, wow, you should maybe be a designer or something. I said, hold up. I was just using this to pick up women. Like, you're telling me I could have a career choice here? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah. Like, there are people who do graphic design professionally, whether it's websites or other stuff. I was like, I had no idea. That's I'm so happy you said that. I didn't even know what I wanted to do in college. I just knew I wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, that was kind of how it started. And speaking of college, you went to City Tech. For folks that have been listening to the show for a while, we've had... Few professors on the show, Douglas Davis, Danny Shaw. We've had a couple of City Tech alums too. Tell me what your time was like there. That was, that's my professor, Doug, Douglas Davis. I had him as a professor. Oh, really? Uh, and, yep. And Danny wow. Shaw. That's that's one of my good friends. Nice. City Tech was great, man. I loved City Tech. It was a uh, it was a really nice experience to get around other people who were like trying to do something in the field. Because remember, I'm just a kid who's just playing around on the website. Like I don't know design principles. <laughs> I don't know. I don't truly know color palettes. Like I know how to use color. I know it looks good to the eye, but like I'm not. I wasn't that kid who was like, "Well, you're supposed to use these particular shades of red to go with this particular shade of blue." Like I didn't understand or know any of that because I never was traditionally taught any of that. So that's what college was really great because I got to really see the basics, um, of like how to do some of these things, even just basic drawing. Like I still don't draw much to this day, but like just having like life drawing classes and things like that was like really fun. You see different people's skill levels. You see people who've clearly been doing it for way longer than you, or you seeing people who are also learning as well, and you end up meeting these people, becoming friends with them, and become friends with the professors. City Tech was honestly one of the best parts of my life. Like, I met a lot of really cool people that I'm friends with to this day. And yeah, it was like great. It was a great experience, man, from beginning to end. My skill set was terrible walking in, considering I only knew how to like play around on our websites. Mm-hmm. So, what it is like, what it was post after leaving City Tech, like drastic change, man. And I'd imagine it was probably pretty cool also having like, a black male professor, like someone that's teaching you how to do all this stuff too. Oh yeah, Doug was cool. His class was hard, <laughs> <laughs> hard. Uh, as somebody who didn't have any traditional training in the field or any understanding of like what a concept for a campaign was, it was very hard for me at first. I remember telling him this, and he was always just like, "Oh, I know it's hard. Like I make it hard because this is what it's going to be like. Like you need to understand. Like his class isn't hard for the sake of being hard." It's hard because he's being realistic about how these how projects are done and like mm-hmm. the agency space. And I was like, okay, cool. And it was like, but it was super challenging. Like I didn't know how to come up with a concept for a campaign. I didn't know what a campaign truly was. I knew commercials I saw that were really cool. And I knew like, clearly, I remember I always, always tell people to joke, but I'm like, clearly when I saw the Old Spice commercial, which was out at the time with the dude, was name Isaiah Washington? I forgot the actor. Oh, uh, Isaiah Mustafa, I think. Yeah, something like that. The, the guy riding on the horse. Yeah, yeah. Talking to the camera. Like, that came out when I was in college. And I remember seeing that commercial going, 
I don't know how they got to a black guy on a horse. But I know it couldn't have just been somebody saw Old Spice, black guy on a horse. Like, they had to be thinking. <laughs> there had to be thinking to get from A to that. Like, there had to be thinking. And he was like, yeah, for sure. I was like, I don't know what any of that thinking is, but I would love to learn. His class was great for that. His class was really, really good for that. And yeah, seeing a black professor was awesome. Uh, in a lot of ways, he was inspirational because I didn't have many black professors prior to that that I can recall. Let alone now was like I was still actively working in the field and still was like keeping up with like where things are moving. And uh, yeah, you know, he's a very innovative professor for not just city tech, but just like in general. What was your early career like after you graduated? Like you, you obviously had this interest that you had sort of cultivated, you know, through getting on Zanga and meeting girls and stuff. And then you're also strengthening it through college. Like once you got out there, what was your, your early career? Uh, it was interesting, man, because I didn't know where to go. There's no clear, like, handbook for what you do once college is done. Like, you know you want to get a job in your field, but oftentimes, well, for somebody like me, like I said, I didn't know what was possible. I had a better idea of what was possible after all of this college stuff, Mm -hmm. whether internships or talking to professors or, like, being fortunate to, like, volunteer for some award shows to actually see what those were like. I still didn't really know where I wanted to go. So when I graduated... I didn't get a job right away, but I was applying places. I was talking to recruiters and all of that. So I still do that to this day, honestly. Talk to recruiters, email um, recruiters, hop on the phone with recruiters and talk to them. Like I always kind of try to make a habit of that because it's just, you never know. I always say, you, I remember my mom, actually Doug used to always say this. He was like, it's best to talk to people when you don't need them. So you actually yeah. need them for a favor. And I was like, he's 100% right because I hate when people hit me up only to ask for favors. So I try to make a habit. No, I make it a habit to be a good person in general, not just when I need something to everybody, whether you can give me something or not. And I was the same way with recruiters. So I guess I I needed their help when I was coming out of college, but I was also just like, you know, trying to build a relationship and it actually worked out for me. And that was how I got my first job. Like I got my first job three months after I graduated college and it was at VaynerMedia. I got that job because of a recruiter that I spoke to probably about two or three times a week. Like he was always so proactive about trying to help me get something my homeboy Jake, you know, I'm still talking time to time. And he <laughs> he was so proactive about helping me get a gig because he was like, your work is clearly good. Like, obviously, you're junior and there's going to be stuff you have to learn. I'm like, I know for sure and I'm willing to learn it. But he was like, I, I'm going to keep trying to place you. And he kept trying to place me. And then eventually, VaynerMedia reached out to me through email for an interview. I went to the interview. I got the job. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm my first job. And ironically, the first day I ran into him in the bathroom. And he was like, hey. I was like, hey, man, what's going on? He was like. Hey, how's everything going? I was like, good. He's he's like, how'd you think you got the job interview? I was like, I don't know. They just randomly reached out. He said, like, it was me, dude. I recommended you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you, man. I didn't know. You didn't tell me that. I knew you left your recruiter job, but I didn't know. I didn't even put two and two together that you came here. Then they reached out to me. That was, I was like, that's so cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. I remember when I, I reached out to you. I think this was almost 10 years ago, almost a decade ago. Good Lord. You were working at, at VaynerMedia at the time. And for people that know VaynerMedia was founded by Gary Vaynerchuk, who I haven't really followed him lately, but I know back during that time, right before he started VaynerMedia, was really well known in like the social media entrepreneurship space. What did you learn from that experience working there? I will say a lot, but I, honestly, I also want to preference. I didn't know who he was and I went to a job interview. <laughs> uh, that, that probably is a good thing to be completely honest with you. I guess I, I I like I remember in the interview, 
Because, you know, I'm not going there like, hey, I wonder, well, I'm sure people do. But I didn't go there like, hey, I really want to work with Gary. In my mind, I'm like, I just got out of college. It's an interesting job where I can do social media work. I've always been told that digital was going to be the future anyway in a lot of ways. This is a cool opportunity. I remember the woman who interviewed me, she said, hey, do you even know, like, do you know anything about Gary? And she was like, I'm not going to hold it against you. I just want to know. And I was like, I don't know anything about this man. <laughs> I just found out who he was and I found out about this agency. And that's that's fine. I'm cool with that. And that's not to say that he's bad or anything. It's just I didn't know who he was prior to getting the job. Yeah. But uh, sorry, what was the question? Like, how- no, like what, what did you learn from that experience working there? Like, did it teach you anything, any sort of lessons that you still carry with you to this day? Yeah, I worked with some really awesome, like, art directors there who were, like, I would say patient with me because, you know, I, I tell everybody, it's like, you need patience with people, like, and regardless of job level and title, like, you need patience with people. And it was my first gig. I've done social media work a little bit prior to that, but not, honestly, not a lot. Like, I did intern at Buddy Media when I was, like, around at one point. I interned at uh, F-Sharp, building user experiences for social, but not, like, creating daily social content. So working on Vayner was a bit of a change because it was like every day at that time we were pumping out social content for like so many different brands like daily. And but it was a very go getter energy. And I, I kind of really like that. Like at first I didn't I didn't right, right away appreciate it. So I was kind of like, what is going on? What the hell's going on here? Because <laughs> everyone was kind of bouncing around doing different things. It was like I would see the art director. He's like, I'm heading to a shoot. And I see him five minutes later. He's like, I'm designing something for something. And then I see him a few minutes after that. He's like, I'm overseeing this other person who's working on a different brand, but I'm in charge of what happens on that brand. And I was just like, wow, this guy's doing a lot in like two hours. Like there's a lot happening. But that was like just the energy there at the time. So as an, even as a designer, they gave me a good amount of responsibility. Like I was in charge of like my daily creative needs where it was like, you know, certain amount of content for maybe a brand I was on. I was on Hasbro. I touched a lot of brands when I was there. Probably some of the most in my life. But it'll be like maybe designing maybe four to five pieces of content a day. I remember these like daily content. They do daily content at the time for LA brands. So I'll maybe my day would be like designing maybe four or five things. And then I may be leading like a small photo shoot for it's like a product, one of the products, one of our brands. But then maybe I'm also helping out somebody else for another brand because maybe someone just like needs a body to do something. Like, hey guys, we're trying to record a vine. Like when that was a thing, mm-hmm. need someone to be here. We need, we need someone to be here who's free to help. And then it's like, can know, are you free for like 10 minutes? Sure, I'm free. <laughs> and then I'll go and then like help out with a mine, whether we're like doing something for Chips Ahoy or like doing something for a random brand. And I was like, cool. It was just like a really good go-getter energy. And I'd like really appreciate it and like that. It was, it was really cool. It was, it was like a lot to learn there from everything that was just happening. Now, after VaynerMedia, like a, a couple of years afterwards, you ended up working at another agency, Glow, and you were their, their lead designer. Was that kind of a big shift from like that sort of fast hustle culture that sounds like VaynerMedia had to to what was going on at Glow? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Because I felt like with Vayner, often days, you didn't know what you were going to get. Like I knew it was going to be like designing a few things, but you sometimes didn't know if you're going to be leading a shoot or volunteering with different things. Like there was a lot going on. It was really fun. I loved being a part of that. That was like awesome. But Glow, Glow was drastically different and drastically smaller. Like it was way smaller. When I first got to Vayner, I think two weeks in, they were moving to a new office because they needed more space. And I think it might have been over 300 employees at that point. It was a lot of people there. Yeah. Uh, so, much, so I started losing track of names. There was so many people. Like, if you weren't on my direct team, why they work with you in the past? It was hard to keep track of names. There were so many people. Glow was a lot smaller. Glow was like maybe 20 to 30 people. Oh, and wow. I mean, the creative team. I meant like the company. Yeah. 
20 to 30 people. It was like a lot smaller. But the work I did there was some of my favorite work I've done in my career. It was just like a good time. It was a different experience. Whereas like Vayner was a lot of consumable goods. So it was, whether it was like Hasbro or Chips Ahoy and things of that nature. With Glow, it was a lot of entertainment focused. So it was TV shows, which are drastically different. So I worked on social for a lot of t- It was still social based. So it was that aspect that I still hold out to. But it was a lot of TV shows, whether it was shows for HBO, Showtime, Star, Sci-Fi Channel. Like it was a lot of TV shows, which like there was a little a bit of a learning curve and like what you can say for a TV show, what you can, what you can do, what you can't do. It was like it was interesting. Interesting, because I'm I'm imagining this is probably like I'm trying to like place the year. So I'm guessing this is like 2010s, maybe like mid to early 2010s. Yeah, I think roughly about maybe like five years ago, almost. So probably like. Probably late. Mid, yeah, mid to late. Okay. Yeah. Because I think about how, like, television and social, right? Because you mentioned that. I remember when Scandal came out on ABC. And, like, I had been on Twitter. I had been on Twitter since 2007. And I don't think the concept of live tweeting a television show was really a thing back then until that show. Like, it really popped off. And now, I mean, now you go on Twitter and you can't escape every web series movie television show has some kind of hashtag or or social campaign behind it or something i feel like that was really sort of the golden age of that stuff popping off yeah yeah it was i was just actually just looking at the year it was like 2015 to like 2018 i was there yeah yeah during that time like live tweeting was becoming a big thing and brands were starting to care tv shows in particular but like all brands but really tv shows are starting to care a lot more about like how they appeared on social like how did they engage the audience were they like doing good stuff prior to the episode airing and then during the episode airing and then after the episode airing? Like it was, it was really, really cool, man. Like I, it was a great time. Like some of the stuff I had to touch and work on, some of the most fun work I've done in my career, honestly, because it was just like a really interesting time. Mm. And now after Glow, you worked for like even more agencies. You worked for 360i, you worked for Collected, you worked for Ghost Note. We actually had their art director on. Uh, last year, Rebecca Brooker. What draws you to working for agencies? Uh, they keep hiring me. <laughs> Look, that's real. No, that's, that's, hey, I get it. It's really that. They kept hiring me. Like, it was like from Vayner, I just kept, like I said, I I had no determined, no predetermined career path. So I was like, well, this agency works for me. Let me try another one. And then it was just like, it just kind of kept snowballing that way. And it's been good. It's been interesting. It's been good. I've learned different things from every agency. But yeah, they just kind of kept hiring me. And I kept getting really interesting opportunities. So I was like, why not? I'll keep rolling with this. And it just kept working. What qualities do you think agencies look for in a designer? Like, is it just about having a portfolio of good work or, or is it something else? I think it's a little bit of both. I've heard people say different things, but I think it's a little bit of both. I think on one hand, they like they see a portfolio and people look for potential. They're like, oh, how how does this person think? What does this person think about, like, kind of who they are based on their work? And but then I also think it's uh, they're looking for a fit, right? Like, o- oftentimes a lot of agencies, at least the ones, a lot of ones I've experienced. I can't speak for all agencies. A lot of agencies I've experienced, they usually hire because they were trying to fill a specific need. So it was like, you know, we got new business coming in, and they probably have a specific type of business coming in. So they're looking for a specific type of person to kind of fit that fit that brand that they're bringing in, whether it's like a cooking brand or something, like somebody probably fits that niche. 
sometimes it's just general and they're just like, we just need bodies in here. Like we need some people in here who are going to like fit the mold and fit the team. But I think oftentimes people are looking for like a specific kind of fit. So yeah, it is your work. But I think it also is a part of like, you know, who you are, who you are. And that, that perspective of who you are can be very helpful in your day-to-day life. Hmm. I've always kind of just been been curious about that because, I mean, I'm speaking partially from personal experience, but also from what I've heard from other designers, like for those that may have worked on more of the like UX side or product or tech, what I've heard and experienced personally is that it's hard to break into agency because agencies are looking for, quote unquote, agency experience. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. I definitely have heard, I have heard that, but I, I can't say definitively they are because I think it's mixed. I think people like here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. I think some people, a lot of people like agency experience because agency. And this is just my opinion. I'm not speaking for everyone, but I think a lot of people look for agency experience because agency experience tells them that you know how to deal with a lot of crazy things happening at once. Hmm. I think there is like an underlying, but known secret that a lot of agencies are not super organized. <laughs> and, <then laughs> and I don't think it's that they're unorganized, like, because they just decided we're going to not be organized. You know, and there are things that happen. There's a lot of moving pieces in our field from account strategy, creative. There's a lot of moving pieces. And it's easy for something to slip through the cracks. And some people can't function when things slip through the cracks. Like, let's just be honest. Like, they're different, they're different personalities. Mm-hmm. I have friends who don't want to do agencies at all. And I go, I understand because I work in agencies. So I can understand why that wouldn't be for everyone. Yeah. So, but as an employer, I can see why employers would see that as exciting because it's like, wow, this person knows how to kind of function in a little bit of chaos. Mm-hmm. They may be good here. Some people don't know how to function in that little bit of chaos. And depending on the type of jobs or internships you've had prior, you may not have dealt with this kind of chaos. You may have had one, you may have been in-house, probably had one brand. That mm-hmm. one brand was probably not super dependent when you selling something every day. So you just kind of like not coasted. You ain't coast, but like you're just your your workload was different. Yeah, agency can be. You could be on three brands doing campaigns for three different projects that are completely different, and they have the deadline of like four days between the three. They just slightly staggered. Like that's not what it should be like, but that is what it's like sometimes. You know what? Thank you for saying that. I have asked that question to so many people, and. The response I get is almost like they are they're ruining the first rule of Fight Club. It's like, oh, well, I mean, I can't I can't tell. I mean, you know, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Like even my personal experiences with like trying to work at agencies, they'll look at my work and be like, oh, well, you've done all this this tech stuff. We're really looking for like agency experience. I'm like, well, I can't get agency experience if I don't work at an agency. Like, (laughs) how does that? But I'm glad that you mentioned sort of what that distinction is, because I get it. It makes sense. I mean. From the other folks that I've had on the show that have worked at agencies, you do have the the opportunity to work on lots of different projects. You know, it's it can be kind of fast-paced, a little frenetic. And again, like if you're in-house and you're only working on like a brand or part of a brand or part of a product, it's just different. It's just a different type of workflow. Yeah, it's very different. Like I also, I often think like when I'm on Twitter, I'm on Twitter quite often. I like, I'll see someone like, you know, unfortunately when Twitter did all those layoffs, a lot of different people talked about different aspects of their job and you know some of those people have very specific needs i mean like very specific rules like some people are like i work just on bookmarks and i'm just like 
only bookmarks like that's all you did for twitter you were specifically on bookmarks like that's really interesting i wonder what the day-to-day is like and that's tech so it could be very that's not to say their life is cushy but it's just if you're working on just one thing it's a little cushy it's a little cushy it's cushy hell i want everybody to look so i would hope your life your, your job is some level of cushy from time to time like every day can't just be like you know grinding like nonstop. so i would right. some little cushy. but you go, wow, that's cool. You get to work on like this one thing and like really refine this one thing. Like there is, there is a lot of pros to that, but some people will look at that as could look at that as a con. Cause like I said, similarly to the creative director, art director thing, it seems like people are kind of smushing these roles together. They want somebody to be a bit of a, a you know, a Swiss army knife. Yeah. It's so tricky because, you know, in the tech world, like there's so much, at least what I found, there's just so much sort of needling down to specialty. Like they want specialists. They want a UX person that's done, you know, work on a healthcare brand. Like they're looking for a specific person that fits in that specific niche. And it it could be a a person that's done UX as more of a generalist, but like if they haven't done it for this brand or this type of company, then they're like, oh, we're looking for like this one thing. So I find with, and and I'm, you know, kind of grossly generalizing this. So please people don't, don't write to me and be angry, but like I find tech really wants specialists in very like particular finite roles and places. Cause even that can differ per company. Whereas advertising is kind of more about, you know, like you said, kind of being a Swiss army knife, someone that can do a lot of things at a particular level across a number of different brands. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not bad. I don't think being a specialist is bad. And I don't think being a generalist is bad. It's just, you know, when somebody's hired, they could ask for whatever they want. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. It's wild. <laughs> it is. What advice would you give to somebody that's they're listening to this episode and they want to follow your example in being an art director? What would you tell them? Network. I always tell people this for any field, but network like heavily. Network, like so that means with people in your field and out of your field. Like it's just it's good to know people because the more you get to know people, you get a better idea of not only what they're capable of, but maybe what you're capable of. And which you didn't even consider. Like right now, we're talking about design and like the design field, but there are a million other ways to be a part of the design field and be a part of like this industry in one way or another, whether it's a strategist or an account person. Like there's a lot of other ways into that can still utilize design thinking. Like you could have like a good design taste, but be a project manager. Like you don't necessarily have to be the person that's in Photoshop. You could have a good design taste and be an account person. That doesn't mean that you're a designer, but that means that you can at least do a good job backing up the design instead of being presented to clients. So there are a lot of ways into this industry. And but I think you need to talk to people and network with people to kind of figure that out, whether it's like, hell, go on LinkedIn, man. Go on LinkedIn. If you ain't got one, create a LinkedIn message. <laughs> message absolute strangers. I think of it as like back in the AOL days when people were just online, like ASL, where you at? But yeah. LinkedIn. <laughs> you go on LinkedIn, you go, you type in project manager. If you want to, if that's what you want to be, you could literally type in project manager or senior project manager. A bunch of people will come up. You can narrow it down to your state, your country, whatever you prefer. And I would just recommend you message somebody. Hey, man, I'm a new kid who's interested in project management. I see that you have a title that does this. Can I ask you about it? Like, because I've done some research on project management, but like, do you have a few minutes to tell me what you do or type? Why not, right? Like, you may not get response, but LinkedIn has unlimited people. You can do this all day. You can do it for five people a day. Somebody might respond. And I'm saying that because I did that. 
when it, I did that at times when it came to finding a job. I got a job at, I mean, I got an interview at ESPN a few years ago because of me doing that. I was going online, looking up other things. I was like, yeah, I'm interested in sports. Let me see what people are doing in this. I, I'm, inter- I'm looking for recruiters, right? Because I feel like recruiters, a lot of times they have the, they got the 411. Like they know what's going on. They know what's happening. So I was just online looking up recruiters. All right, man, design recruiters or recruiter or whatever. Narrow it down. Okay, cool. I'm not familiar with this agency, this recruiting agency. Let me reach out to one person that works there and tell them who I am. And maybe they can at least get me on their list of creatives. And then down the line, they can push something out to me. And I started those conversations. And somewhere along the way, somebody at ESPN got pushed my way. And I was like, oh, that's great. And I had an interview at ESPN. I would have never gotten one otherwise, probably just like just existing out here. Like people don't just get reached out to, but you can also play a little bit of active role. So that's networking. I would, I would highly recommend you network online, of course. I would also recommend you network in person. The people you sit next to in class, and Doug used to always say this to us, Professor Doug, a professor, as I always call him. <laughs> he always said this. You'd be like, when people sit next to you in class, see a left, your right, front, and the back, these might be the same people you end up working with. You never know which one of them end up giving you a job, or you end up giving them a job, or they end up recommending you for something, or you end up recommending them for something. I have friends who finished in City Tech like I did, and who did not get into design, who still reach out to me for design-related jobs doing other things. Mm. They just reach out to me. They're just like, oh, Kendall, I was thinking about you because this, this, this gig popped up. Like, that, does that always mean I want it? No, but that, that opportunity is there for me just being a good person and being their friend for so long that they're just like, oh, let me, I thought Kendall when I saw this. There were 40 other people in his classroom when we were teaching learning this stuff. They was like, I thought <laughs> Kendall when this position popped up. So that's why I'm reaching out. What's going on, Kendall? So network. Network. I agree with that 100%. That's a really great thing. I think people should all like try to cultivate. Like you said, you know, you never know when you're going to need it. Don't just do it when you're in need, like continually network, even when you've got the job, when you're in the job, but just let people know that you're always out there, you know? Yeah. That's how I met Danny. I met Danny through networking. Oh, was he not? Was he not teaching at City Tech when you were there? No, when I was there, Danny had already graduated. Okay. Was he was he's a few years older than me, so he had already graduated. I think I might have heard his name in passing because Professor Davis mentioned him a few times. Mm-hmm. But we, um, at my at City Tech, we had this. I think they still have it. They had a design club, and in the design club, we would do this this like event called Meet the Pros. We'd bring the professionals to talk to the students, and we'd also do like an alumni version where we bring back people who graduated from City Tech who you know working in the field. And Danny was one of the people who they brought in. And I wasn't the president at the time, so I was just a part of the club. So I didn't like I wasn't the one actively like talking to him to have those conversations. But like after the the event was over, I was like, hey, man, you seem really cool. And I appreciate everything you said in the talk, man. Like you want to stay in touch. And then we, we just stayed in touch. Now we like we good friends. <laughs> we are very good friends. Yeah. Now, aside from work, you're a podcaster. You co-host a show called Terror Nova. Tell me about that. That's my baby. <laughs> uh, Terror Nova. It's a horror podcast, as it says in the title. Uh, it's Terror Nova Horror Podcast. Me and my... Actually, one of my fellow alumni from City Tech, Jackie, Jackie Martinez, Jacqueline Martinez, we we both were fans of horror. We're both really big fans of horror. Like I grew up watching horror. She grew up watching horror. We're both massive fans of horror. And we, even when we were at City Tech, we were whenever I had I needed somebody to talk about horror movies, it was usually her. You know, a lot. Some people now we got Get Out and all that. So a lot more people get into horror. But like at the time, before that, a lot of people weren't as like broadly into horror. So me and her would always chop it up and watch horror movies, whether it was digitally, like sending each other the link or like just talking generally about horror movies. And I was like, man, she's like always my go-to for this. This is great. 
And then during the pandemic, you know, uh, we had like that, I guess you could say two years or a year of like some time where people were just kind of, you know, everybody going through different stuff. Everybody's figuring stuff out. We had a little bit of that slowdown when it was kind of like, you know, to stay in the house. I and mean, even after that two week slowdown, we still had a bit of a slowdown. And I was like, man, I kind of want to do something. Like, I want to do something that's like, you know, fairly positive, but also enjoyable and doesn't really feel like a job, but is like something like I have fun with. And I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was like, I guess I could do a podcast, but what would I want to do it about? And I didn't want to do it like generally. I wanted to like be very specific and have about what I talk about. So I was like, mm, horror, horror just popped in my head. And I was like, sure, why not? Like, I love horror. Let me see if there are any uh, podcasts out there that talk about horror. I, there were a few and I was like, okay, cool. So there's a little bit of a market for this. Let me, let me have some fun with this. And I was like, but I want to do it with a cold. So I don't want to do it by myself. So, and then Jackie came to mind and reached out to her. I was like, Hey, I have an idea for a horror podcast. Like, do you want to do it? If you don't do it, I probably won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, okay, I'll think about it. And it was like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do it. And then we just, we kind of jumped in and we, uh, we have a horror podcast. We talk about movies. We talk about TV shows. We do topics. We do, we started doing like kind of more autobiography type episodes where we highlight like a figure and talk about their relationship with horror. So yeah, we do everything horror. It's really, really fun, man. We, um, we kind of go to go back to that whole community thing. There's a really big horror community everywhere, honestly. But uh, definitely on Instagram as well. So we found like some really interesting people on there, and we've brought people on as guests from like all different walks of life. I had people from London who came on, people from Texas, people from just all over. They're just like, "Hey, man, if you ever in town, let us know. We'll hang." And uh, so just you know, kind of an extension of the stuff I was doing when I was in high school with Zanga. But like now, I'm doing it not to pick out women, but to like meet new people who also like horror. So it's mm-hmm. full circle. What has podcasting like as a medium taught you? Has it taught you anything that you kind of take back with you in your work as an art director? It taught me to be clearer with my thoughts. Mm. Like, I feel like, uh, not even just as an art director, as a human being, it is sometimes hard to clarify your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> you have so many of them going through your head, at, especially at once, even before someone probably even asks you a question. Just someone can say a statement, you have a hundred things running through your head. And I'm really big on trying to be clear about what I'm saying when I say something like I, that is like probably one of the biggest things I try to be hard on myself about is like, when I say something, do I mean what I'm saying? And is it clear what I mean when, what I'm saying? So I don't want to misinterpret or mislead someone. I'm sure that's in part because of a lot of the fake news stuff going around in the world and fake thoughts and fake opinions that people have about stuff. I try to be very clear with my thoughts and the podcast has been a huge help for that because we end up talking about horror movies and uh, we always say the podcast is for people who like horror movies and people, even for people who don't like horror movies, whether it's you don't want to watch them or you're too scared to watch them. The podcast is for both of those pe- for those people as well, because it's not that we we spend a bunch of time talking about the guts and people being ripped in half. We spend time talking about how the characters feel and like how the characters are relatable and how there's a scene in the themes and like the socioeconomical version of this stuff, the race, like all of these things that like make these movies, these movies that people go, oh, that's woke culture. No, all of these things were written, written and baked into the film for a reason. We're not making this up. <laughs> so we spend time talking about all of that. And it, it forces me to get clearer about what I'm saying, because I'd never want to say something and people would just go, that person's being crazy or that person's making stuff up or that person's being hateful or that person's being ridiculous. I try to be very clear with my thoughts and it translates to my job a lot. Because as often as the art director, even a designer, you have to just explain your decision making. Even if you wow somebody with the design, the person still probably wants to know the logic behind it. Because wowing with the design is nice, but if it's not on brief, 
and it's not hitting the goal, not hitting the mark, it just looks good, and that doesn't help anyone. What would you say is your favorite contemporary horror movie? Of, like, what, the past few years, something, something recent? Yeah, like, well, I'd even go, say, like, the past, like, decade or so. Actually, no, I'm going to just go with something fairly recent that I really enjoyed. There was a horror movie that came out recently called Pearl that I thought was really great. I, I saw it in theaters, like, three times. Oh, I, I think I saw a trailer to that movie. It's kind of, like, done in this... Or, or I think the setting is, like, in the 20s or something. Like, is this the movie I'm thinking of? I don't know. Kind of, yeah. It's like, Mia, I think the lady the, the lady that's in is Mia Goff, I think? Yeah, Mia Goff, yeah. Yeah. Set around, I think, the time of, like, World War II. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm thinking of it. Yeah, she's, like, an actress or something, right? She you, is, can, you can tell I watch a lot of movies. You know, the trailer, I can understand why you wouldn't know what it is she's uh she's basically like this girl like she's a she's a farm girl in a lot of ways like her family grew up on a farm they're german so they in some ways fled from you know germany during the war and all of that stuff and she just kind of wants to get off this farm like she has aspirations of like being a star whether it's a singer or an actor she has these aspirations but she like grew up on a farm and the way her life is going is probably like no chance that she'll see those aspirations come to life mm, interesting the art style, the thing that makes it interesting is the style of it. It's, I have to tell people, it's like The Wizard of Oz if it was a slasher, because it's not styled like a dark and grim horror movie. It's styled very beautifully with like bright colors and like mostly during the day, kind of similar to like Midsummer. Mm-hmm. And it's styled really interesting, which kind of in some ways is a reflection of how the main character sees the world. I could talk about it all day, but it's, a, it's a, <laughs> very interesting, like stylistically, how they did the movie. Versus what the messages are the mo- of the movie are and the themes that are super relatable about identity and self and all that stuff. It's like, re- it's a really, really well done movie. Nice. Now, it's clear that horror is certainly like a big, it's a big thing for you. It's just something that you really love. What are some other like influences for your creative work? Is it any, any people in particular, any things in particular? I wouldn't say a specific person or anything like that. I'm just like, like, just like when I was a kid, I'm a fan of stuff. It's like, I love science fiction. I love like action movies. I love like every genre of everything. And like, I try to take pieces of that with everything I do, whether it's like how I tell stories, how stories are told. I try like how I design. I try to take all of these things into account when I'm like working. So I wouldn't say I'm inspired by like any specific visual style or specific person. I'm just like, I'm saying life just inspires me. Life inspires me. Like the people I get to have conversations with, the people I meet, the characters I see in movies and TV shows, like. All of those things inspire me. Like, I'm not inspired by any specific graphic designer. Like, I'm sure there are better designers than me in the world, but I'm not heavily inspired by super great graphic designers. I'm, I'm inspired by super great storytellers <laughs> and super great stories that I've seen unfold that feel very human. They feel very grounded. At this stage of your career, do you feel creatively satisfied? Surprisingly, yes. <laughs> Why surprisingly? I say surprisingly because, man, you would expect the corporate world to kind of beat you down. Like, you know, there's always that tragic story of the artists of like, they got in it because they love it. And then somewhere along the way, money got involved and they hate it. I can see that very easily happening in this field as well to people like, you know, trying to fill a lot of bellies, which is with the task as a, of a designer or honestly, even any world you have in this field. You're trying to fill a lot of stomachs, man, whether it's account people, the clients, strategy, yourself, creative, like there's. There's a lot of people that get to get fed before an idea goes out into the world and actually like exist. And there's a lot of battles that people have to fight for their work to be seen by the general public. So you would think with all of those challenges in front of you that 
some people end up hating this, but I actually surprisingly still enjoy it. <laughs> I do enjoy these conversations. I, I enjoy the people that I work with. I enjoy the people that I've worked with in the past, whether we had disagreements or not, because I've learned something from them, whether it was about myself or about them. And honestly, if it was just about myself, like how do I handle a situation? How do I handle uh, moments where things feel like it's too tough and they feel impossible? How do I handle moments where I spent a lot of time on a design and then someone goes, let's just change the whole thing. <laughs> how do I handle that? And uh, how do I bounce back from that? And it's it's been satisfying, man, how I'm bouncing back for these things and how I learn from them and how I get better from project to project. It's been very satisfying. Now, when I had you back on the show again, this was like 10 years ago, I asked you, like, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And you had mentioned that you wanted to like create a product that you can build like a company around. And granted, I mean, since then you've worked for agencies and such, but at this stage of where you're at now with your career, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Oh man, that's, that's a good question. I feel all about, I forgot I told you about that. That was back when I was working on this, this bike app idea that I had and I still have that somewhere. I think in the next five years, man, I probably, I feel like I still see myself doing this. Like I'm not sure, maybe my title will probably go up. But I still see myself doing design, or possibly even still pharma, but I'll, I'll see. But I, I still see myself like you just enjoying this field, man. I don't really, I, I'm not tied to any specific industry in terms of which one I like more or, or not. I just really enjoy what I do. It's like, it's a good time and you get to meet interesting people and they get to tell you interesting stories and you get to live a pretty interesting life when you make it in there. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like flying to Dubai every week or something for photo shoots or anything like that. I've done very little of that in my career. But the type of people you meet and the type of stories you get to hear people tell and that you get to tell yourself from the projects you work on, it's just, it's really interesting and priceless, man. And I really enjoy it. So I kind of just see myself still going down this road of like, in some ways where the wind takes me, but in some other ways where I'm just enjoying the space. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about your work and everything? Where can they find you online? Uh, you can add me on LinkedIn. You can look me up. My name is Kendall Burton, or should show me the show notes and everything. Which you can add me on LinkedIn, feel free to. You could follow me on Twitter if you like. Honestly, on Twitter, I don't really talk about the field much. I just kind of enjoy the craziness of Twitter. Enjoy <laughs> 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 like the memes and the wild stuff people say on Twitter. That's pretty much what I'm doing on there. So I guess if you want to laugh along with me about the crazy stuff that's happening on, that happens on Twitter, then feel free to follow me there. My name is uh, B Kendall B. That's my name on most things. You can find me on Instagram the same way. Or you can follow my podcast, which is exclusively on Instagram. I just don't want it to bounce between a million platforms. So the podcast, Terra Nova, is only on Instagram. But you can listen everywhere. It's on Spotify and all that stuff. Yeah, so LinkedIn or Twitter on Instagram. Those, those three places, best places to find me. All right, sounds good. Well, Kendall Burton, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for, I think, honestly, for just showcasing how much your enthusiasm and passion for what you do. To me, it just sort of permeates through everything you talk about, like your life story, your story of working through the industry and things like that. I can tell that you really have this like innate, deep burning passion for it. And like, that's something that I think we all need to kind of work to try to cultivate, like find what, what it is that sort of lights your pilot light, you know? And I, I get the sense from you that really, you know, this is something that you're super passionate about. And so I'm excited to see, what you end up doing next, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, I appreciate the invitation to come in and talk to you again, man. It's, it's a pleasure. It's great. And for everyone listening, man, just 
find what you find what you like, man. <laughs> find what you like and just strap yourself to it the best way you can because you got to enjoy life. Big, big thanks to Kendall Burton. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Kendall and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is sponsored by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. So if you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is also sponsored by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With best-in-class customer service, free Whois privacy, and more, Hover is there to help you bring your online dreams to life. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path, like all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify or Amazon Music. You could leave us a rating and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We haven't had one of those in a while. I would love to get one of those during our anniversary month here. Or you can leave us a message on our new hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.